Hello everyone and welcome to Season 4, Episode 1 of the Academica Vertex. I'm your host, back again, Ollie. Uh, I've had some time off with some A-level exams um, and schoolwork, but I'm back, happy again, uh, back on the podcast and of course joined by Chris, FPL Stonks and Aditya for the new season of FPL, Season 4. The Euros have just finished and unfortunately I am speaking to you as an England fan. Um, many congratulations to Italy though uh, on their victory in the Euros and um, yeah so uh, I may not be the most positive this episode but um, anyway Aditya how have you been and um, how has uh, watching the Euros been for you? I'm fine Oli, uh, it's good to be back here. I was just about to say I'm fine Chris you know because I got so used to with Chris being the host over the last few episodes. But nevertheless, it's nice being back for this next season and nice seeing you back also now. Uh, regarding Euros, yes, it was a good tournament. But most of the, let's say, the favourites didn't turn up to play that well. Let's say the group of death eventually kind of, what I would say is, those big teams just got knocked out in the knockout stages. And eventually it was, it leaves the ring and then we all knew what happened. And at the end, eventually, Italy won on penalties. But it was a good tournament seeing good new players play well. We found new talents such as Mikael Damsgaard from Denmark. Luke Shaw had a phenomenal, phenomenal Euros, I would say. It was great to see him play so well in such a consistent manner. Uh, I mean, for me, watching as a neutral, it was great. But for you, I can understand the pain. Because not as similar, I would say, because Manchester United lost to... Villarreal in the Europa League final, the two on penalties. So, kind of similar feeling, but there's a definite difference between club football and something when compared to the Euros. Yeah, well, I mean, it's always tough to lose in a penalty shootout. Um, but Chris, how, how have you been and who were you rooting for in the in the final? Hey, uh, I've been well. Thank you for asking me. Uh the Euros that was really refreshing uh, to me because we, we hadn't seen uh, international football in a while and I just love it. Uh, I think it's uh, it's the most competitive stage because of the knockout games and so on. And I think this time around we saw some great games and some uh, great goals and some great moments which will be, you know, I think I will remember them for a long time, uh, such as the Switzerland-France game or, you know, the, the rest of the games there were just exceptional with great uh, turnarounds. Uh, as for the final, I was supporting Italy. Uh, I just think I had a weak point for, for Chiesa and Donnarumma, and I think uh, the whole team, uh, they were just uh, too good together, and I think that the passion and, and how well worked they were. I just, I think they deserve to win the whole tournament. Yeah, uh, well, obviously. I was a huge England fan, but um, yeah, anyway, we have yeah. a, a couple of announcements um, to make regarding Vertex League and, and blogs, etc. So I'll hand you over to Aditya who will do these uh, announcements for you now. Okay, thanks, Oli. And yeah, we have been running the Vertex League for the last two seasons now, and it was a great success, to be fair, over the last two seasons. And this season, for the upcoming season, we did post a tweet a few days back saying that we will be coming back and it will be launched soon. 
and yes we are going to launch and the registrations will begin from the 16th or 17th is what i'm looking at once this podcast is out basically the registration should have begun or might will start in the next few days so this time what we have changed is that the registration process is now going to be done through google forms so we are not going to accept any registrations which are going to be done by basically replying to the tweet uh, we kind of want to make it more organized because over the last two seasons what we have seen is that when we generally pick up the registration details we tend to miss few things here and there we tend to miss few people and there's always some sort of a confusion here with regards to the fpl team ids and all the other stuff and all the other data which we need to collect so to make it much more organized and to make even easier for people to register we are going to switch to google forms so the links will be tweeted out in the next few days uh, i said about 16th or 17th is what we are looking to start is when we are looking to start the registrations from and uh, regarding the rules yes it's going to be the same uh, five teams uh, five members for each team and the other stuff rules we have kept the same although we did have a few debate about the captaincy rollover stuff but i think we are kind of going to stick with the same rules for now but let's see before the league starts if you want to make a change we'll let everybody know whoever is going to basically take part for the upcoming season and uh, few things i want to address here the first thing is we want genuine fans from respective teams although we did make exceptions over the last two seasons we will do it again don't worry if for example if you are supporting let's say everton and everton slot is full in your next next favorite team you would like to support maybe is let's say brentford then we could be open to give you that slot so that is just based on the preference and towards the last is when we would actually start allotting the second preference teams so at first again we'll start the registrations as per your first preference teams which will be mentioned in the form when you're going to do the registration and the next thing is we actually want to get active players because over the last especially last season we had problems in between we had to replace few members and all from some teams for example west brom we had a problem and basically chris and the others joined in and kind of got the league going on at that point for the for some teams but we want active players and uh, seasoned players from the community who are active on twitter so we like to take them anybody else is also welcome who is as long as active and and makes you know basically there's an interaction between the person and the other members of the team so that is what was lacking over the last few seasons we want that to improve at this point is what we're looking at so that's i think that's it regarding the vertex league we'll start the registrations in the next few days and it's going to be through google form so if you have any questions you can just tag us and we'll be happy to reply other thing is we're looking for admins to run the league so if you're interested drop us a dm next thing i want to move is after vertex league i hope i'm not taking a lot of time is regarding the blog that's fpl academica so we are going to start pushing out content from next week initially we are going to focus on the pre season so the initial few days we'll be posting out team previews team structures budget enablers players that are being overlooked um a few initial chip strategies and all basically how you're going to build your team if you want to wild card earlier and also we're going to be posting several articles and there are going to be also articles from managers who have finished well last season in let's say the top 10k top 5k they are going to be giving sharing the experiences and thoughts and the approaches for this season so please be on the lookout for that and we'll be posting that through our 
blog that's fpl academica uh, that's it only yeah good to get the uh, announcements um through and uh, i very much enjoyed the vertex league last season despite playing for fulham which is um not my first team but um so yeah um so i kind of want to talk about the euros the final um i think it's just happened we're we're going to be releasing it um and i want to talk about the uh the penalty shootout chris i know we were just very briefly discussing it before the podcast but um what did you think of the uh the sort of selection of southgate do you think that it was right that it was because saka on the on the fifth penalty do you think it was correct to bring on you know sancho and rashford as penalty specialists um and then for them to miss it or what what were your thoughts on that on that penalty shootout yeah i think on the on the double substitution i think that was a uh, something i just don't think it made enough sense at the time because he was taking out two more experienced players, Henderson and Walker, who might not be the best penalty takers. But I think uh, in a big final for England, it's the first final in 55 years, you know. And at that moment, you, you can't uh, remove experience. You can't remove someone who can calm the nerves down and who can support the others, who can push the others, who can deal with that sort of pressure, you know, in the end. Yeah, well, I mean, look, if we're honest about it, I think Rashford, um, he is very good at penalties. He scored against Villarreal. I mean, Aditya, Rashford and Sancho are both going to be Man United players. So I'm sure you're going to have an uh, opinion on it. But um, Rashford, you'd expect him to score. He sent the keeper the wrong way and then missed the goal. But um, players coming on the pitch uh, 190 minutes, they're cold. They haven't kicked a ball in two or three hours yeah. um they're, they're not they're not warmed up um and i think in a penalty penalty taker you're looking for somebody with sort of confidence and desire i think in with penalties it's not so much about talent it's backing yourself and being confident knowing that you're going to score more than being a, a wonder kid um but for me i think bakayo saka has been incredible throughout the tournament so i'm not going to slate him in any any form but um, Rashford and, and Sancho. Yeah, he was, he was really good. Yeah, yeah, he he, really he's good. been he's been incredible. But um, I think Rashford and Sancho to come on and both miss is is a little bit disappointing. What what do you what did you think, Aditya? Okay, firstly, before I get to that topic, uh, let's say on the day of the final, uh, I would say the atmosphere around Wembley was buzzing as far as what I could see here on social media, and people were just enjoying dancing around the streets, and you know without masks and all. I don't know how the situation is there in the UK at the moment. And uh, I knew it. Like, if England... Beforehand, I thought, if England actually wins the Euro, then the atmosphere is going to be more happy, enjoyable. But if England lose, we are going to start to see the negative stuff floating around. And one thing which just made me upset was the racism issue, which was floating around over the last few days. And that was very, very much disappointing to see and it's, I'm so saddened to see how things are going on on social media at this point with regards to Rashford and all. And that's just so utterly disappointing and disgraceful. And I'm very saddened to see that. It just kind of upset me in the morning once I just opened up social media afterwards to see and just things are not in the right shape. I mean, if you remember a few months back, 
the Premier League and most of the other clubs and they all did a social media boycott for about few days or so. But that just didn't make a big difference, I feel, at the end of the day here at this point. And things need to be strict and laws need to be enforced because things are not moving in the right direction with regards to the racism issue here. I hope I'm not creating some sort of a controversy here. But I hope I'm striking the right points here. No, I think because... you're completely right. I think it goes without saying that it was absolutely disgusting the sort of the the racism throughout social media, and there's been calls for sort of identification for social media accounts and stuff. And you you com- you're completely right there. I mean, um, the worst thing for me is that I was I wasn't surprised. We've seen it before. We'll see it again. Um, and Tyrone Mings actually hit out at Pretty Patel. On, on Twitter saying oh you said it was acceptable to boo the knee and now you're you're going back on your on your words basically so you're completely right there and, it, and as you say it's just absolutely disgusting that's what I saw Ming's posting yesterday I am not aware of the current politics scenario in the UK I just remember the drama which Matt Hancock did over the last few weeks <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Matt yeah. Got a bit too, uh, too feisty. Yeah, so that was. I mean, things are completely different there for us to see it from here from India. But with regards to the finals, let's move on that topic now. And penalty miss and uh, both Rashford and Sancho missing. I mean, definitely disappointing. As an English fan, for you only, it you might be the most hurt here because for me as a neutral it doesn't pain for me that much but yes you're, you were right based on what you spoke I think Rashford he came on in the 119th minute right so basically he was just subbed on to take the penalty and that was a bit of gamble seeing Marcus Rashford who didn't play a major part in the recently you know Euros which just ended so I think that was kind of a bit shocking uh, the substitution yeah. and I and the order of the way the penalty shootout was taken. It was like Harry Kane and then I don't know. It was that sort of an order I felt it was. Whereas you had people who could take better penalties and who are much mature to handle such pressure. Maybe someone like a Jordan Henderson, Luke Shaw. I don't know, but Jack Grealish, he did post something out yesterday afternoon and it was just like he was hanging out Gareth Southgate to dry out. So, was what I felt like. But I don't know actually what went I mean, what was in his mm-hmm. mind, basically, Southgate's and the camp's mind at that time before the shootout, it's only they can answer, not us. I think so, you've got to have experiences for me. Like, you need to you need to be more mature, more experienced. I think having a 19-year-old who's never taken a, a penalty in his professional career, I mean, it's, it's, as you said, it's easier to say this in hindsight. Like, if we'd won it, we'd say, oh, what a brilliant selection. But... Um, uh, you need experience and, and somebody who's going to back themselves. And I don't think the selection was particularly poor. I mean, I don't think the selection of Rashford was bad. Rashford is usually pretty good on penalties. and He is good. Yeah, he's usually he's pretty good on penalties. Good. The only thing is that, as you said, he, he came on it's so late. Um, so is he is he really in the right sort of mind state? Like, the players, when they're on the pitch, they're full of adrenaline. They're not. They're thinking about the game right here, right now. Whereas when you're sitting on the bench for over two hours, your mind is. If you're Rashford or Sancho, your mind is only gonna be on this penalty. Where am I gonna put it? What's gonna happen? Whereas when you're on the pitch, you're not thinking about it. But him sitting on the bench for that long, thinking about it, it's um, 
I, look, it's difficult. Penalties are always difficult. Jorginho, we've seen that he's so good at penalties. Even he missed on this fifth one. Um, but the, if we had to do it again, I would definitely say you want a, a Grealish or a Sterling or even Jordan Pickford to take one. As as you say, you just need people with, with more experience, to be honest. I mean, if, if I can add here something, if, if you watch the Europa League final, the penalty shootout, yeah. 10 people from Manchester United managed to put it in the net. And it was David De Gea who finally missed. So, it's not easy. Penalty shootouts are not at all easy. It's 50-50 because you never know who is going to win. And in the Europa League final, it was the goalkeeper who missed the penalty that kind of costed us that trophy. But anyways, again, the same situation happened when he De Gea missed the penalty and there was again some drama on social media, people targeting him. It's just totally stupid. I don't know why people behave like idiots there and just raging on some people at that point. But uh, again, with regards to Rashford and all, I hope it doesn't affect Rashford and Sancho mentally because after being to playing in such a top tournament, a high-level football game, uh, I hope it doesn't affect them in the wrong way because once they just join back to United, basically the preseason camp and they start to play, few preseason games or they start to play in the league few games I hope it doesn't affect their performances because it does because these players are are young players they are somewhat similar I mean I might be I mean to be fair Jadon Sancho is younger than me that's a joke but yeah. it does affect people it does affect people and I hope it doesn't affect them the wrong way I hope people treat them well and and they're really Let them human. Get some positive... they're really human. Yeah, they're human. They're, they're not robots. People need to understand that. They're not some machines playing there. They're all humans. Everybody has emotions. A human being makes a mistake. You need to accept the fact and move on. To Seeing England play in the World Cup and seeing them play now, they've probably improved. They're starting to go one step ahead. But the performances on the pitch are, is definitely not entertaining. I know that basically you're not attacking too much. You're kind of defending well. Defensively, England are a, England were very strong in the Euros. Maguire, Shaw, Walker, Stones, they were great. But they're just improving gradually. Step by step, it's going in the right direction. You just need to hope for the mm. best for the World Cup, which is going to be held in 2022. Yeah. I mean, I tweeted this out on Monday morning-ish. I said, if somebody told me in, in 2016, after we just got knocked out to Iceland, that the next World Cup, we'd make the semi-final uh, and the next Euros we'd make the final and be runners-up I mean I said I would have bitten their hand off because like it is incredible the the progress and the way that the England team have come since getting knocked out to Iceland in 2016 only five years ago so I think as you say there's a lot of hope for the the future and the as you hope the talent will only get better Saka's only 19 Bellingham's only 18 Rashford and Sancho are both young, as you say, um, and and the England squad is hopefully only only going to progress. And um, I think the only thing that I thought, um, Chris, is that perhaps they were just too defensive after going one 0 up. It was a bit sort of Croatia twenty eighteen repeat. They went one 0 up early and didn't look for a second yeah. goal. Like they never looked like. They were going to score. It was almost a matter of when Italy were going to score rather than if Italy were going to score. Because if you feel like they go forward and, and score two or three, put the game to bed, but they always just sort of clung on to a 1-0 lead. 
I think they they didn't adjust to the, to the the early goal they managed to score, and that that meant that Italy, no matter how bad they played, because in the first half Italy weren't so good. I think uh, England had the opportunity to close out the game in the first half, where Italy were were shaky. They couldn't get an attempt in goal. They were all over the place. They they couldn't create a lot. I think they gave time for Italy to you know find find the rhythm to you know they 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 got the time to to create more chances and to you know I think England had the opportunity to kill the game in the in the like first twenty minutes because when you concede on the third minute to second minute you you're all over the place Italy were were really you know all the all their plans were gone and I think. When you score an early goal, you, you you have to keep the pressure up. You have to go for the second goal, which I think would have, you know, uh, finished the game because Italy were really, really bad in the first half. And I think with the second goal, they, they, it, was, it would have been really hard to come back from that second goal against a team that defends so well in the tournament. So that's just my opinion on it. But I think... No, uh, you're completely right. They, have, they had to capitalise on Italy whilst Italy were like uh down and a bit all over the place and uh, england did fail to do that i mean i can't really slate <laughs> gareth southgate and his tactics too much because um as i say the improvement of this england side has been has been brilliant so but i mean there's always if buts and maybes but um is there anyone that really really stood out in the in the tournament for you for either of you two i mean Chiesa for Italy was absolutely brilliant. His goal against Spain was brilliant. Um, I think uh, Pedri for for Spain was young young uh, player of the tournament. Um, so I, I think this Italy side has also come a long way from. Uh, I think it, was it not qualifying in in twenty fourteen or twenty sixteen? They didn't qualify, and um, so they, they've really improved as well. So DJ, anyone who's caught your eye in this tournament? I mean, in initial few games for Italy, definitely it was, I think, Leonardo Spinazzola. He was excellent and people loved him because he was a good UCL, not UCL, sorry, Euro fantasy asset at the start. But for me, I would say Luke Shaw. Uh, why? Because few seasons back, Luke Shaw had this horrific injury against, it was in Doan, I suppose, in the Europa League. If I'm correct. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But the injury was a horrific one. And since then, he has progressed in the right direction. It took some time for Luke Shaw to kind of get settled and adjusted. And he had a very hostile time under Jose Mourinho. And now, under Solskjaer, he has improved. And I'm very glad to see Luke Shaw play very well. And I hope he has an excellent Premier League season in the upcoming season. And he manages to keep himself fit. Because Luke Shaw, we did sign him a few years back. And we did knew we didn't know that he was going to be a good player. And he's turning out to be now. So I'm really, really glad for Luke Shaw. Yeah, I think it goes without saying. Uh, some people do owe Maguire and uh, and Shaw an apology. Maguire was absolutely sensational, and so was Pickford, to be honest. Um, yes, yes. I want to jump in about Harry Maguire. Last few, I mean, last season, people were just trolling him, calling him slab and all. Yes, that's fine, slab it because he can score headers and all. That's fine. But as a Manchester United fan, we basically know the value of Harry Maguire. People may consider he's slow, or maybe he's a he's a choo-choo train and he can't catch up and all those stuff. But 
with him being absent in the Europa League final, it just really showed us how bad we were without having Harry Maguire. And he's our basically club captain. So, mm. I, uh, basically, the apology from Harry Maguire, I need most yeah, of the yeah, fans to fill it up now. <laughs> no, I think you're completely right. Like, um, uh, I think people sometimes meme Maguire and say he's, he's not good enough, but it really showed, like, as soon as... United lost him, how poor defensively, or how much worse defensively United became, I mean, um, so he has been uh, incredible for England, I think Pickford and Maguire are two players who sort of just play to a different level when they when they play at the national side. Anyone who, who caught your eye, Chris? For me, uh, yeah, on Maguire, by the way, he was really good. And I think this shows that uh, the issue might also be the partnership he has in United. Maybe the... I'm not sure why, because he, he can be really bad. But I think in this Euro, he, he was really he was really good. He was there every time he needed to be. And I was impressed, too, by him. And by the whole... I think England team, uh, especially, you know, Shaw, uh, Stones, Walker... Maguire, they were all ex- exceptional. Honestly, I think they had a really good Euros. And even Pickford, who I think uh, he can be unreliable sometimes, but I think he, he proved a lot of people wrong again. Uh, but I think Donnarumma, for me, he was the third tournament, and I think rightly so. He he had made some really good saves that got Italy through the knockout rounds against top teams. And in the penalty shootouts, he was really confident. You can, I could feel like that he could have got, he was going to save the penalties, and he did save two of them. Uh, I just think his presence in the goal is just so vital for Italy, and the confidence that they have from the back. Uh, the midfield of Italy again: uh, Barella, Jorginho, uh, Verratti. I think these three were absolutely immense, uh, really. And Chiesa, I think my favorite player was Chiesa. Uh, yesterday, he didn't, and I'm sorry, Sunday, he didn't even score or, or, or like contribute to a goal, but he, the energy and the, the movement that he brought on the pitch with the ball and off the ball, I just think that that is something you don't really see in a player, you know? That the way he dribbles past his opponents, the way he, he you know, he, he's also physically uh, gifted, you know? And I think that's. I think he could be a really, really big star in the future if he, if he keeps on playing on this level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I mean, Donnarumma player, but uh, of the tournament, but didn't get the Golden Glove, unlike Jordan Pickford, um, unfortunately. But I am slightly biased when I yeah. when I say that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think overall it's been a, a great tournament. Um, and as as you say, like uh, the group of death. They all sort of died by, I think, it all round of sixteen, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. So and and. Over, I think they were overconfident. Some of them. Yes, I think France overconfident. Yeah, definitely. Again, against Switzerland. They were overconfident. I think they were overconfident, and as and another issue is, I think they were overworked in their group. To be fair, because mm-hmm. people took Hungary very lightly, and yeah. uh, they didn't turn out to be a crap team. They played well. And uh, they caused problems to Portugal. Portugal, it nearly took them around 83-84 minutes to score a goal against Hungary. And uh, France somehow managed to draw the game. And then Germany managed to win the game towards the end. So Hungary actually played very, very well. 
Yeah, Hungry is right? a massive yeah. underdog, so I'm really no, no, I think, uh, from that group. Did Germany beat Hungary? I think they beat, right? Or they no, beat? no, no. I, I just don't know. They, they, they yeah. were losing 2-1, but then they equalized and they went yeah. through. Yeah, yeah, I was at the, um, I think I was at the, uh, the pub that game, and... Uh, all the England fans went just absolutely crazy when Hungary took the lead because Hungary were finishing, I believe, at that point in second place. So the table was England playing Hungary in the round of 16. And obviously we didn't want to play Germany because of the, the history of that fixture. But I um, uh, got the job done against Germany anyway. So, yeah... Um, but overall, a really exciting tournament. Some some bigger, uh, bigger uh, upsets with um, Switzerland beating France, um, and yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. It was it was uh, good, and Czech Republic beating Netherlands as well was an interesting one. It made um, England's sort of half of the draw much uh, easier. The route to the final, but uh, Denmark was certainly a tough game. And Denmark, what a team to come back after that Christian Eriksen. Um, yeah, I think uh, that was a one, really beautiful moment. So, yeah, that incident was so horrific. When I just got scared, mm. and I mean, whoever was controlling the broadcaster, who was controlling the cameras and all, was such an idiot. Yeah, need to be sacked yeah. because when a streaker comes off the pit on the pitch, they they don't show the, yeah. they don't show the uh, the streaker uh, on the on the camera. But when when somebody's having a heart attack, they they show their wife crying, and it, it was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. They. Uh, they should have been sacked. The the TV director and the BBC should have cut to the the studio sooner, earlier. If you were watching it in Britain as well, um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it was a fantastic story how he he's uh, survived and a fantastic story for Denmark to go so far in the tournament after losing to to Finland and then Belgium to to qualify and then make it to the semi final was um, I thought really good for the for the nation. I think b- before you progress ahead, uh, which players kind of disappointed you this in the zeros? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not too sure really. I think um, in France, obviously, Mbappe was slightly um, not on on the the money. I think Bruno Fernandez. I mean, I was tweeting Varun a little bit about that, um, and because he was sort of praising Shaw a lot but I didn't see much on Fernandez. Um uh, he said the play doesn't really revolve around Fernandez but zero goals, zero assists in the tournament it was it was a little bit of a ghost on the pitch, Bruno. Yeah, um he was top shit. He yeah, was really yeah. bad. Yeah. It was a ghost because the the issue was that Fernandez is a classic number ten. He plays just right behind the striker. And the way Portugal's have generally set up over the last few years is they love playing with three midfielders, three flat midfielders, or just one lone CDM with two kind of box-to-box stylish players. And Fernandez is not really a box-to-box kind of player. He's more of a number 10 who kind of floats ahead. And basically in Portugal, you know, there's only one man the ball has to go to. And it's Cristiano Ronaldo. So eventually, <laughs> everything went to Ronaldo. And we yeah, did see in a few years. We did see Jota fluff sometimes. So... <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think the issue with Portugal is that Ronaldo, he's the most, he's really old at this point and he has regressed. But he's the one who brings the confidence. He's the one who, who might do a good uh, dribble or two and, you know, 
free up some space. He's he's the one who's gonna build up the attack sometimes. But but when the ball comes to Jota or someone else, they just can't finish the job. And Jota had really bad misses in the game against Belgium. And I, I remember I remember like watching Ronaldo, you know, pulling the strings, passing, trying to shoot maybe. But again, when the ball came down to another player, they couldn't you know help. They couldn't provide you know something special which you know Portugal's relying on Ronaldo for so long and when he can't do that no one else can which is pretty annoying I think because there's so much talent in that squad and yet nobody can you know you know live up to that talent yeah I think, I think the player for me who disappointed was Harry Kane really? based on what we saw last season in the Premier League Kane did not turn up. He did, he Although he did score a goal stage, against Germany but... and two against Ukraine, but the hurricane which we saw last season and which we saw over the last few seasons and in the World Cup, hurricane was looking more of more exhausted to me and was more tired and was again playing. He surely was exhausted. That, and that's he was sure. playing. He was playing too deep again, like as he played for Spurs under Mourinho, basically collecting the ball, coming deep and allowing the others to make the runs besides him. Let's see okay. whether he, it's going to be so. interesting to see whether if he's going to stay at Spurs or whether he's going to leave. There's going to be a lot of interesting stuff going on over the next few days because we don't know if Grealish is going to leave Villa, if Kane is going to leave Spurs. There could be a few transfers in and out here. There could be Sa- Sancho deal should be confirmed in the next few days. Rafael Oran could join Man United, so it's going to be a lot yeah. of stuff going on. Well, interesting. I thought That's he was spe- very spe- slow. Out speculation, right? <laughs> for uh, we had to, you know, that we we are uncertain. That's for for sure. Mm. I, I but I think was... I think I saw somewhere that City will not sign a uh, forward. That's what Pep Guardiola said, and I think they have uh, Torres and Jesus who might fill the roles. And I think that's that makes Ferran Torres a really interesting option at seven million. If that, because uh, I think he can play that role really well of the center forward, you know, because he's really fast and agile. I think he's also a really good finisher, as he's proved time and time. Uh, time out, sorry. Uh, and I think if City don't strike, uh, sign a striker, then Kane. Uh, I mean, where does where do you see him going? I mean, is it Chelsea? Is it United? I I just don't think there's many clubs that he could even go. Uh, I don't think there's a if lot you, of clubs that know, can if, afford him as well. Yeah, uh, true. yeah, that too. So if you put City out of the equation, it's for me, it's really not. It's really straight, not straightforward as to even if he's gonna move somewhere. Because I, I just think City were the only side that I was confident had the economical, you know, the financial uh, capabilities to afford him, and you know. The, yeah, I, the I think Chris, like, Chris, oh. the thing is, if City sign Kane this season, this is the only, I think, time for, there's a chance for City to sign Kane. Because if they don't sign him now, there's a chance that United could go for him next season. That's what I feel. Because Edinson Cavani will probably move on. He could retire. And we're not sure about Anthony Martial at Manchester United, whether he's going to stay or whether he's going to leave. So there could be a chance that United could go for Kane next season, but we never know how things are going to go. So, in terms of the financial power, we all know how Daniel Levy is. And he just wants 100 billion plus so many players or so. Obviously, Kane is just star man. 
and they're going to have a lot of problems. But today, just so somewhere about Dannings and rumors floating here, I'm not, I'm not sure whether how much how much of it is true. But we'll have to see how things go on. But I think Kane City, let's see what happens. I think there was even some rumors about Grealish, right? A few weeks back. So I don't know what's going to really happen. Yeah. It, but it is interesting how you say that you thought Kane was slightly disappointing. I mean, I thought he was disappointing in the group stages. It wasn't scoring. But then he got his goal against Germany. Um, he scored two against... I think it was two against Ukraine. And then obviously tucked away the, the finish after the penalty against Denmark. Um wasn't particularly prominent in the final, but a final's always a, as as you say, like it's a one-off match, and it's it's often pretty low scoring in a final anyway. But um, he made the pass to Trippier to uh, for the ball over to to Shaw, so he was doing like dropping deep and doing more hold-up play. But um, I still think that he did did uh, sort of show his value in the in the knockout games and. Uh, excelled after after the group stages. He was he wasn't very prominent in the, the group stages though. Um, I think another player who has not been given a lot of respect is Raheem Sterling. Oh, definitely for sure. I mean, I think all of England was a bit surprised at the start of the tournament when they were starting Sterling over Grealish and because traditionally Sterling is he didn't he's never before this tournament never scored in a in a majors. Uh, tournament final finals not not finals in in a major tournament right so he really came on strong though and he did the country so well and and he he showed his value um, as you say I don't know if you have anything to add about Sterling but he was absolutely phenomenal and really uh, should take pride in those performances I wish he wouldn't dive as much, but yeah, he was he was really good. But he he was seriously diving so much. It it was annoying because you know all every, everyone on Twitter was pointing at other players diving, but when Sterling dived, no one no one really mentioned it, and it was really annoying at some point because he was just falling all over the place. I mean, like why he he was Italy is, pointing, is just as like, bad though. I think. Yeah, but you should, you should point. That both sides did that, and not just Italy, because yeah. England did well, that well, the, too. The English media is like uh, when the opposition does it, it's cheating, yeah. but when we do it, it's clever. So you know, that's how the English media it is. Sort of brilliant dive, brilliant dive. And you know what's funny? Yeah, some people who have no idea about football, no idea whatsoever. Oh yeah, I saw were that. calling about the the fallen Kilini. Saka, I'm sorry, from Kilini, when he, when he, you know, he dropped his shirt from the neck. How is, and they claim that is red card. I mean, it's the How most the yellow card of yellow card? cards ever given. Yeah, it's but it can't a be a red. Foul, you know? He's but it, it's the, the player, clearest yeah. yellow you'll ever see, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's never a red card, and, it, <laughs> and it's football. People the, don't the realize that it's Greenish, a though, could have, could have been seen as, um... Dangerous play, though. Yeah, sure. That could yeah, that, that could have been could have dangerous been. play. Could have been. I, I I don't think if it should have been a red card. I think it, it could have been. Uh, if it was a red card, I would have understood because you know it, it was an ugly clash there. But even that wasn't a red card, you know. And some people claim that uh, a shirt pull in the middle of a pitch is a red card. I mean, as if yeah, no, it's the people it wasn't, who it wasn't. You got a lot of really... casuals, like or not casuals, yeah, yeah, but casuals, people yeah. who, like 
when England play in a tournament, it the gathers Agile. a lot of people from the nation and yeah. a lot of people yeah, the, don't normally watch football. Watch football, so yeah. and you get and they just, feel just a, they need to a express their opinion. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but if if you think about it, if you go in with two studs up into a, a tackle, like a slide tackle, Chris, and then that can be seen as a red card. But it, if you go with studs into somebody in. from a standing position. That's not a red card. I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna complain and and whine and yeah. try and give excuses. But he, he, I, th- I think if you saw the the situation there, he he actually went on the ball with the studs, and then the deflection from his foot went on Grealish, uh, you know, thighs or whatever. He he he, you know, like he like touched his thighs. He like you know, it was a straight up, you know, stump, but. I just don't think that's as much of a rare as it would if, if he, he had tackled Grealish, like, straight on his, you know, on his thigh, or maybe he went for Grealish only. I think yeah. that's the difference. Well, he it, went for it the is ball. what it is at the end of the day. Like, anyone can win anyone. Someone's going to be a hero in the penalty shootouts, and somebody's going to be a villain. So, And then it can go either way. Uh, penalties are so random. So we can look back and say, well, this could have been a card. This could have been a uh, foul. But yeah, the result ended how it ended, unfortunately. But um, uh, regarding the, the Sterling dive, Kane should have had a penalty in the Denmark game in the first half anyway. That wasn't given, so... It was kind of like a payback for the the Kane challenge, which was overlooked, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think so- sometimes you might uh, get some, you know, favored by the referee. Maybe a mistake there, here and there. We don't like to see it sometimes, but it's part of football, and has been for many years. But in my opinion, with ER nowadays, you have to check the VAR. Some referees, yeah. just I think they're not, they're not performing their job as they should. You know, maybe sometimes that there's some situations that maybe the referee has to let the play go, move on, and you know, the VR is there to check and to you know inform him if something's off. You know, I think that's how it should be implemented. And you know, sometimes the referee might you know take a call on his own, but then he's too proud to check on VR. And we might have some really bad decisions out of that. Mm. I mean, it is true think, that the use of VAR in the Euros was by, by far better than the use of VAR in the Premier League. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, definitely. Which proves that it isn't VAR as a system, but the referees and the and the, uh, the guys that use it are the problem. I mean, I think um, there needs to be some margin for error on... On the uh, on the offsides, uh, and it just isn't used correctly in the Premier League how it was in Euros. It was the same story in the World Cup in 2018. VAR was used greatly, and it was brilliant in the World Cup. It was brilliant in the Euros, but it it just every single week we seem to like the amount of times that Aditya and Chris we were talking about all oh, this VAR decision was that back on the pod every week like it just wasn't a major talking point in the euros and they need to adapt it in some way to be able to not make it a a talking point every single week because it's it's not good enough from the english officials i don't think yes yes you're correct you're correct it's absolutely right you're absolutely right based on whoever is handling is if it's a competent group of referees who handle it then it's always great because 
we've seen in the Champions League and the Europa League, the decisions are somewhat made. They're always made correct. Correct decisions are taken and they're quite quick. And we, last season, we knew offside decisions in the league was not great. Especially the Bamford, there was one offside wherein he's his sweatshirt from inside, they used it for his offside call and they just got confused with his sweatshirt and his outside jersey. Both were in white colour and they didn't know what, what to pick and all. And I think this year they've kind of changed the offside system. Basically, the amount of error and the lines and all, they're going to use all these geometric systems and all. But unfortunately, in this Euros, we didn't have John Moss and Mike Dean. So, that's why it was a bit better, <laughs> I would say. But once the league resumes, we'll go back to them. I mean, we knew, right? Especially the, the Suchek red card when with Mitrovic, Mike Dean just he watched it so many times and he sent him off. And this so funny. It is. It is true, though. Like uh, the officials, the use of it from the officials is. I think we can all agree is is not been good enough in the Premier League and has been fine in other competitions. So. Alright, anyway guys, I think we've hit around the 45 minute mark there, which is um, a little bit uh, over what we wanted to aim for, but it's fine, we've had a good good chat about the Euros, a good review, um, and I've enjoyed coming back and, and having a, another a pod with you boys, so um, thanks everyone for, for sticking around, I don't know if you have any last messages on any announcements or anything more you want to say. Um, I do have a few. Yeah, Not a lot, fun. but yeah. So, so next week onwards, we'll be back with the podcast, much regular basis. And we're going to start discussing the teams in depth with the players to target and all of the stuff with relevant stats. The reason we have not basically started speaking about the teams in depth now itself is because it's just the first week of preseason. And it's just going to be for the next week onwards, most of the teams are actually going to start playing at least one or two games because so far till now, I think it's only West Ham and Everton who have played a preseason game. So we just want more data to speak on and there could be more transfers completed over the next few days before we record next week. So that's why we have not spoken about FPL in depth, but we will start speaking about it a lot from next week onwards and we'll start covering with Arsenal, I suppose. We're going to have FPL Ray Gunnar joining us next for the next episode of the podcast, speaking about Arsenal. And we'll try to cover basically about the clubs in London. So we, that's going to be basically a London club episode podcast. We're going to be speaking about all the clubs in London, Chelsea, West Ham, Arsenal and the others. Yeah, yeah. so we'll, we'll get on to the FPL stuff, but um, there hasn't really been much Premier League activity as the Euros have just finished, but nice to come and record one anyway so um thanks everyone for listening um everyone from all of us at the academic vertex um yeah stay tuned keep up with us on twitter um look out for those vertex league and and uh blog updates um fpl academica on twitter um i think uh Adita's just told you our outlines and our plans so um thank you all very much for listening and see you soon I'm not going to